Right, so we are, we are going through, we're so close, we're moments away from finishing the book of Matthew now. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so exciting to nearly be done. Um, we're on Peter's denial, so here we are. Matthew 26, um, I try and preach slightly differently each time, so a lot of um, Bible passages I'm going to be using here. I just thought it'd be really good, I talked about it a, a few weeks ago in brief, but it'd be really good just to look at the, the Peter storyline through the New Testament. There's a whole storyline through the New Testament about Peter, and, it, and it's amazing. So let me read the passage first. Now, um, so Jesus has just been arrested and beaten and condemned. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he, out, when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the cock crowed and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, um, the translation has been a little bit gentrified. When it talks about cursing and swearing, Peter actually... The scholars think that actually he is using horrendous language. He's so angry, he's so fearful. He actually properly is calling down curses. This is, this is Peter. This is the guy who stands up on Pentecost and ministers through the Holy Spirit. This is the guy who speaks to Jerusalem, who starts off the church and says, this is what God is doing. He's pouring out his spirit. This is the guy, a few weeks before, denying his Lord. He's denying Jesus as his, as his Lord, his best mate, has been condemned and is being beaten. Peter's saying, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't flipping know the guy. I don't know who he is. I've, as I was researching this talk, um, some of the sermons about this, um, they simply stop with the, hey, where are you denying Jesus in your life? Is that sort of, you know, where are you getting it wrong where you could be getting it better? That's some of the sermons. But I think it's a much more reassuring passage than that. I think actually, ironically, the story of Peter, even the story of Peter's denials, is actually one of the most encouraging parts of Scripture for us. One of the most encouraging facets of Scripture. Because look at Peter here. He's, he's in the courtyard where Jesus is, is being condemned. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time, with the wrong people, and he does the wrong thing. Like, every box ticked. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time, with the wrong people doing the wrong thing. This is Peter. Let's go through, let's go through Peter's story. Jesus meets Peter in Matthew 4. I want to show you why it's reassuring. Because the, the point is, if Peter can witness redemption, then so can all of we. If the guy upon whom the church was built 
can get it so wrong and yet be redeemed, then there's absolutely nothing stopping you from having your dreams and your visions reignited, from being able to approach the throne, the throne of grace with bold confidence. The message is essentially one that we've been preaching for the last few weeks, which is that you, you are not disqualified. You are not discounted. You are not written off. You are not unseen, ignored, unknown, unheard. You are a precious jewel in God's crown. So Jesus meets Peter in Matthew 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew. Not, not Andrew Kind or one word. It's a different guy. There's more than one. Casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now this is amazing straight away. Jesus finds the fishermen and he says, why don't you come with me and I'll show you how to fish for people. What he's saying is, look, you see these gifts that you've got. If you come with me, I'll show you what it means to really use these gifts in their fullness. If you come with me, I'll show you what the fullness of this gift is. I've put gifts in you, but come with me. We talked about previously, I don't think either of them were here, but we've got Helena and we've got um, Emily, two amazing artists. And like, amazing artists. God's really blessed you with that creative gift. And like, you could, I could find both of you like, you know, graffitiing rude words on an underpass. And it would look great, but it would be gross. <laughs> but both of you, I really want to honour you, both of you, using your gifts in such a positive way. Really just, really just amazing stuff that you're, that you're doing. So I'm encouraging you that actually you are using your gifts for God, for the kingdom. It's great. And there's more. There's more to come. The best is always yet to come with Jesus. So he says that. He says, come and follow me. I'll show you what your gifts really mean. Then Matthew 16. So Matthew 16. Jesus says to his disciples, um, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples reply, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who am I? And the disciples say, Peter says at this point, Peter says, you are the Christ you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. His name, his birth name wasn't Peter, it was Simon. He says, you are Peter. Peter means rock. It, the Greek word rock sounds like the Greek name for Peter. So it's a pun. Jesus is doing a joke and I absolutely applaud him at that. But see what's happening again. What's going on here? Jesus says, you've got this from God. You've, ac you've accepted who I am. You've got it right. That's who I am. And because you know who I am and you've accepted who I am, I can now tell you who you really are. So you are the Christ, yeah, and you're Peter. That's who you are. When we accept who Jesus is, because he is the king, 
He is the Lord. No one else is the Lord. When we come to him and we accept who he is, that unlocks. That's where we get the keys of the kingdom given to us. He says, right, you know who I am. Let me tell you who you are. Go and live in that identity. And it's, it's here. I'm not making this stuff up. It's here. It says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, he's given him the nickname Rocky. Honestly, he's calling him Rocky. It's a name that he'll always have with him to remind him of who he is. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Now that you know who I am and I've told you who you are, well, that's, that's quite a good deal. That's quite a good relationship that we're in now. We're in a covenant now and I can give you the things that I want to give you. Sorry about my uh, clacky shoes. They do look good. <laughs> eh? Who does? The plum. the plum? Oh, the plum colour that makes them. Great. I feel like we've gone off track a little bit here, Des. <laughs> I do have things to say. <laughs> One thing that when I was um, going through this... Um, Jesus gives us our identity, um, and he asks, us, he asks us to act out of that identity. Um, and the thought that came to mind was, don't let other people's pain bleed over your identity. What do, I, what do I mean by that? I don't mean don't help other people. I don't mean don't care for other people. But the people in your, there are people in your life and the world and society want to tell you who you should be, want to tell you who you are, and who you're not. Well, before anybody else said anything, Jesus spoke first. He will speak last, and is the only one who actually speaks with authority. You're covered by the blood of the Lamb, so don't let other people's curses bleed over you. That seems a bit abstract and weird, and there's a small boy racing, it might be a ghost. I don't know what's going on, it's all very weird. Don't let other people's pain define you. For instance, if someone says to you, has said to me recently, like, you're never around when I need you. You're never around when I need to talk to you. Very easy for me to feel, oh, I've really got that wrong. That's, I should be ashamed of myself. I, I am someone who's unreliable. But actually, I know that this person who's a lovely person is actually just speaking out of their own pain. Because like, they, they just need someone to be around. So don't let other people's pain bleed over your identity. God has given you your identity. You're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Don't let other people's wounds define you. His wounds have defined you. And it's by those wounds that you are healed. So in Matthew 16, it's brilliant. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And then, ha, the, next, <laughs> the next passage. Um, Jesus says that he's going to have to be crucified and Peter takes him aside this is Peter who's just been told that he's the rock of the church Peter we're here because of Peter we're having this conversation today because of Peter the next passage Peter takes Jesus aside and says um he rebukes him he says he began to rebuke the Lord saying far be it from you Lord this will never happen to you Jesus turns and said to Peter get behind me Satan you are a hindrance to me for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
This is really, this is very difficult. In our um, 21st century Western mindset, this is very difficult to accept. Because on the, on the one passage, you've got Jesus saying, Peter, this is who you are, mate. I love you, and this is your identity. The very next passage, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. It seems like it's a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction. Sarah came and brought that word about correction. And when I wrote down the word correction, I was thinking, oh, this is a tough one for me. I wrote down the word correction. I didn't like it. And I'm glad you brought that word, Sarah, because actually, do you know what? Correction is not punishment. The Bible says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. Correction isn't punishment. And, you know, God loves to violate what you think if what you think is not true. Because he is the truth. He won't ever violate you. He always comes as a friend. But he's very happy. He loves it. He loves a bit of violating your thinking if your thinking is leading you into lies and away from the truth. And he doesn't correct, he doesn't correct Peter's behaviour. He's not, he's not saying, Peter, you're behaving wrongly. He's saying, you're setting your mind on the wrong things. The battle's in the mind. See, religion tells you, change your behaviour. Jesus says, just change your mind. Change your mind about who you are. You're the rock, Peter. You're rocky. You're my boy, my main man, my top boy. Remember that. And remember who I am. We hate correction, don't we? I know I do. I hate correction. What's really interesting, I really want us to get this because some of us have still, some of us have been too influenced by religious mindsets. And that's not condemning, like I do it myself. We all do it. But the, the truth is here in the, in the gospel. When Jesus says, you're the rock. Even though, he then goes on to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Even though he knows Peter is going to reject him and deny him three times. Do you know what? Jesus never changes his mind about who Peter is. Jesus never changes his mind about Peter's calling. Romans 10 says, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Because repentance just means changing your mind. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God never changes his mind about you. He never changes his mind about you. You can deny him as many times as you want. You're still called. You still have purpose. You're still loved. Jesus never stops calling Peter rocky. He never stops believing that he's going to build the church on him. He never disqualifies him. He never downgrades him. He never casts him out. He corrects him. Because correction is not punishment. Correction is making something correct. Well, we want to be, we want to be correct, don't we? But again, religion says you have to have the correct behaviour. The gospel is that you've got to be in the right relationship, the correct relationship. You've got to have the correct view of Jesus. Because no one comes to the Father but through him. We're not compromising on that. You've got to know who he is. Because if you don't know who he is, you can't know who you are. And everything will get out of joint. So when Jesus corrects us, 
It's not because he doesn't love us, it's because he does. He disciplines those he loves. Correction isn't naming and shaming, and it's not punishment. Correction is restoration. Correction brings you back to the truth, the truth which sets you free. If God disciplines us, if he rebukes us, if he corrects us, it's because he wants us to be free and he says that we're worth it. We're worth having freedom. And some of us, we just need to change that mindset. Like, other people will try and correct you and rebuke you and they do it from their own pain. That's why I said don't let other people's pain bleed over you. When God corrects and rebukes and disciplines, he doesn't ever do it from a place of pain. He does it from a place of like total knowledge, total love, and a total desire to see you become the person he's created you to be. He wants total freedom for you. Which is why he's not afraid to tell you off. It's okay if the Lord tells you off. Because he doesn't ever disqualify you. And this is where we've got a problem in our society. Because we've been so inculcated, we've been so indoctrinated to believe that if I get something wrong, therefore I am wrong. We have become so believing of the false idea that you are your mistakes, you are your behavior, you are your successes. And you know, it's, it's not true. Getting something wrong doesn't mean that you are wrong. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. And even if you are a failure, you know what? The Bible says that failure is never final. Where there's life, there's hope. And where there's death, there's hope of resurrection. It's all good, man. And this is where I want to talk about sin a little bit. I know we're a bit pushed for time. Um, I want to just talk about sin. And I think the problem is here that we don't have, we don't have a healthy idea in our society of what sin is. And even as Christians, we don't like the word sin. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Saying the word sin makes me feel uncomfortable. We don't have a healthy understanding of what sin is. People think that sin is a long list of things that make God angry. A long list of things that make God angry. And, you know, these, they range in nature, don't they? From like murder to not eating your greens. Those are the main two. There's probably stuff in between. But people think that sin is a long list of acts that make God angry. And the only way to stop making God angry is to stop doing these sins. And if that were true, then that would mean that would, there would be a long list of things to do to stop God getting angry. And it becomes about behaviour. These are the things that I'm doing that are making God angry. These are the things that I'm doing that are making God happy. Do you know what? There's absolutely no relationship there. That's just a set of rules to be followed or not followed. It's health and safety guidelines. There's no relationship there. And Jesus says, you know what? Rules are not the truth. I'm the truth. It's, you come to me. I'm the relationship. I'm the rela it's about me. Come to me. Know me. Let me tell you who you are. You see, like you could go... <laughs> You could go around and at the end of the day and you could say, well, um, I did 16 sins today, but then I did 17 acts of good service. Therefore, God was angry with me 16 times, but he was happy with me 17 times. Do you see how mental that is? God's not schizophrenic. He's not constantly saying happy, sad, angry, annoyed, delighted. He's not like that. He's given you your identity and he loves you. And he will correct you to bring you back into that right relationship. 
where you can know. Colossians, Colossians 2, it talks about the legal indebtedness that needs to do the right thing. The legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. Because whatever standard of morality you have, you do have a standard of morality and you never meet your own standard. None of us meet our own standard of morality. We are condemned by our own desire to do the right thing as we see it. The legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. It says in Colossians 2, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's where freedom comes from. He has taken away that legal indebtedness. He has nailed it to the cross. That's what the cross is. That's what it means to say it is finished. It's not about trying to do the right thing. It's good to do the right thing, but it's not the deal. Do you remember when Donald Trump was interviewed and he said um, about his faith, his faith and um, someone said, um, do you ask God for forgiveness? He said, why do I need to ask God for forgiveness when I'm not making mistakes? <laughs> like as though there are, it's just about a tactical victory. So what is sin? Sin... Um, Sin is a, is a, is a, it's a spiritual crime. But again, we've got to be careful what we mean by this. The, the, the idea of sin in the, in the Bible, the idea of sin, it has, it's, the imagery is of someone missing a target. It's an archer firing an arrow and missing the target. And what's the target? The target is God's goodness. So it's not a list of things that make God angry. It's simply this. Sin is us being unable to reach the standard of goodness that is God. And whether that's deliberate or otherwise, it's that. It's when we, we put something above God, we make ourselves or something else more important than God. But it's essentially, it's, more of a, it's a general term. Sin is a general term for missing the target of God's goodness. Everybody has fallen short. And it's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual crime. And again, we've got to be careful, because when you say that, people say, oh, so you're saying I'm a bad person. No, I'm not saying you're a bad person. We're not saying, because we're not in a 1940s Western, where there are good guys and bad guys. There's Jesus and everybody else. There are no good people and there are bad people. We are far too binary in the way that we see things. When you hear the phrase spiritual crime, and you, if someone says that you're a, a spiritual criminal, or implies, as I am, saying that we are all spiritual criminals, that would be a problem if someone hadn't done something about it. But you know what? There's never, there's never a point where God doesn't give you some kind of recourse. The, the Bible doesn't say, you are a spiritual criminal, the end. The Bible, essentially, the message of Scripture is, you are a spiritual criminal. You can't reach God's standard. You fall short. But guess what? That's what the cross is for. That's where it gets taken care of. That's where you can put away your need to show yourself approved, to live a good life, to get it right, to not make mistakes, and just come into relationship with a guy who's not afraid to tell you off because he knows you and he loves you. He knows you the best. He loves you the most. He's got the plans for you. So sin isn't things that make God angry. God is angry when you don't know him as you should. God is angry 
when you don't experience the things that he's got for you, the peace and the joy and the hope and the love and the purpose. Again, there's these two mindsets. You've got the religious mindset that says you're a bad person. (laughs) And then the cultural mindset, the very individualistic mindset, rejects that and says, no, I'm a good person. Religion says I'm a bad person, I'm a good person. Well, what if you're neither a good person nor, nor a bad person? What if it's not that simple? What if it's much simpler and nuanced than that? What if you're neither good nor bad? What if you are flawed and yet adored? What if you are flawed and yet adored? It's reckless love says, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. Still. And yet, nevertheless, one of the best words in the English language, nevertheless. You see, we're all living by a standard of goodness. Whether you believe in God or not, like you still, you still think that some things are wrong. No one in this room, for instance, thinks that um, abusing a child is okay or a matter of opinion. You, you, you believe that it's wrong, and I agree with you. But even when we disagree on what is right and what is wrong, we all have a moral code. Because that's what it means to be made in the image of God. We have wired into us this, this sense of morality. And this is the problem with culture. The, it, a culture says, just do what makes you happy. But what if what makes me happy is slaughtering woodland creatures? What if the animals are farthing wood? is a comedy for me. What if I like nothing more than to take a hatchet to squirrels? I might think that's good. And in a, in a world where I'm free to just do whatever makes me happy, then that's okay. But the RSPCA would not say that. They would, they would come to me and they would say, what you're doing is wrong. But the problem is, if there is no actually objective standard, if there is no foundation for morality, then what I'm doing when I'm you know, decapitating ferrets is not really wrong, it's just a matter of opinion. And the RSPCA and the RSPB don't have to like it. But I'm not really doing anything wrong. See, this is the thing, we cannot get away from the fact that we are wired to know that some things are right and some things are wrong. And if there is no God, then nothing is absolutely right and nothing is absolutely wrong. We should show you that somewhere in you, God has set eternity in your hearts. And Jesus says, you know, whatever standard, the message of Scripture is whatever standard of goodness you're trying to live to, you can't, you can't do it. You can't meet your own standard of goodness. And, and, and that's where we have a problem. I talked about this before, but the pain, we, we feel pain. when we get stuff wrong, we feel pain. And when people do wrong things to us, we feel pain. And we have three choices with that. We have three choices to do with, what, with our pain, what we do with our pain. The religious mindset says, well, you're a bad person, therefore you have to take this pain and you turn it inwards to ble- into shame. Like, all of this is happening because of me. I'm stupid. I'm a bad person. The opposite mindset, which you see a lot in our society, is 
I am a good person. I've decided I'm a good person. By my own standard, I'm a good person. And therefore, no one can tell me that I'm a bad person because there's no, there's no objective morality. I am a good person by my own standard. And therefore, this pain I'm feeling can't be my fault because I'm not bad, I'm good. Therefore, it's somebody else's fault. Therefore, the pain goes outwards into blame. And we see this played out a lot in our society. People refusing to take responsibility for their actions because they couldn't bear to think that they might have made a mistake. Because we haven't been taught, we haven't been discipled, we haven't been equipped to know how to deal with our sin. With our wrongdoing, with our failings. And the gospel says, well, there's a third option, you know. Instead of turning it outwards to blame or inwards to shame, nail it to the cross and be free. Nail it to the cross and be free. You are not good or bad. You can do good things because God is good and you're made in his image. And you can do bad things because of the fall. But guess what? You are flawed and yet adored. When you see someone who's really following Jesus, you won't see a good person. You won't see someone who gets everything right. And you won't see an evil person either. You'll just see a free person. Someone who's free, someone who knows that, like, in spite of everything, you know what? Jesus loves me. He died for me. He set me free. I am not condemned. I can deny him as many times as he gets led off to be killed, and he won't condemn me. He'll still say, hey, mate, I know you. Son, daughter, I know you. Remember what I called you. Remember when I called you. The offer's still there. I haven't changed my mind about you. Jesus hasn't changed his mind about you. So what if we're not, neither good nor bad, what if we're flawed and adored? The debt is paid. And again, when we say the debt is paid, I was raised to pray for forgiveness but not to receive it. When you've done something wrong, you ask God for forgiveness. But then, as I said last week, or a couple of weeks ago, I prayed, asked for forgiveness, and I still felt guilty, because I haven't been equipped and discipled to receive forgiveness. But First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He doesn't say, I'll consider it, he says, consider it done. The debt is paid. But you know what? Jesus is not a loan shark. It's not the debt's paid, see you in a week for the next, meet you under the aqueduct for your next sin payment. At the cross, Jesus brokered a deal once and for all. That you don't now have a series of little debts that you have to keep paying for. Your debt was nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago and it is still there. And you are still free. And you will get things wrong, but they don't condemn you, they don't define you. The debt's paid. It's quite enjoying that. <laughs> when we ask for forgiveness, we, we need to learn how to receive it. Because it is taken care of. So three things to do with sin before we finish on Peter. Three things to do with sin. Three, three things that we have to do with sin. First of all, own it. Call it what it is. Sin really is, we really do get things wrong. The things that we do wrong really are wrong. So don't deny it, accept it, own it, confess it. 
That's the first thing to do with sin. Second thing to do with sin is understand that it really is on the cross. Like it really is taken care of. You don't need to keep saying sorry for the same thing. Because number three, realise that you totally are free. You actually, actually are free. Free from condemnation. Free to have those dreams and those visions. To walk with Jesus. That distant target that we keep meeting, that we keep missing, that distant target we're firing towards, that standard that we keep trying to reach and can't, the target has come to us and taken the form of a man and said, stop, why are you even doing archery? Just, just walk with me. Stay close to me and I've got it covered. So, Peter. We'll end Peter. Let's go through this quickly. Uh, Luke 22, Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked to have you. He has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This is before the denials. Jesus knows what Peter's going to do. He says, Peter, you need to know, you need to know that Satan knows you and has asked to have a run-up at you, and I'm going to let him. But you know what? I've prayed for you, that your strength will not fail. And mate, remember, you're rocky. When you have turned again, you're going to fail. You're going to let me down. You're going to get it wrong. But when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers, because guess what? You're the rock on which I'm building the church. In spite of everything that you are, you're the rock on which I'm building the church. And then the beautiful, the beautiful redemption. John 21. Jesus has been resurrected, but the disciples are still not sure what's going on. And Peter says to his mates, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing because I know how to do that. I'm going back fishing. And they're fishing. And Jesus stands on the shore. <laughs> this is brilliant. Jesus says, have you caught any fish? And they answer him, no. The fishermen, the thing that they do know how to do, they can't even do that in their own strength. They don't know how to fish very well, even though they're fishermen. Have you caught any fish? No. Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. One little word from Jesus changed everything. One little word changed their mind and changed the outlook. Peter knew it was the Lord and he got out and he swam to sea. <laughs> this is so good. They got out onto the land. They saw a charcoal fire in place. They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. He's already been fishing. Are you listening to this? They can't catch any fish. Jesus is on the shore and he's got loads of fish. He's already started cooking it. These are the guys who fled. This is the guy who denied him three times. Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you have. And he says, come and have breakfast. And Peter's like, I've, deni I've denied you three times. I let them take you. I didn't, I denied you. 
and I went back to doing what I was supposed to do and I'm rubbish at it. And now you're turning up and, you, and you're helping me to do what I'm supposed to do. But you're also saying, come and have breakfast with me. You're inviting me to come and have breakfast in spite of everything. Jesus says, come and have, come and have breakfast because guess what? The deal's still on. The deal's still on. You're not condemned. Let's come and eat together. And then I'll show you, I'll remind you, I'll remind you of who you are. Because the way Jesus met Peter is, is exactly, it's, it's the same. He met him fishing, said, have you caught any fish? No. Okay, well, come with me, I'll show you how to catch fish. He meets them again at the end. Have you caught any fish? No. <laughs> Let me help you with that. Again. Let me remind you of who you are, Rocky. Let me remind you of who you are. And then Jesus says, this is so funny. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Have you seen what Jesus has done there? Three questions to match the three denials. Three affirmations to match the three rejections. Do you love me? Yes. Well, then do this. This is what I'm calling you to. Do you love me? Yes, I've told you I love you. Okay, great. Well, do this. Feed my sheep. You're rocky. I'm building my church on you. It's still on. Peter, do you, do you love me? You know everything, Lord. Yeah, I know. And I have the authority to say the third time, go and be Peter. He eradicates the three denials with the three affirmations of who Peter is. It's absolutely beautiful. And then we have in Peter, this is amazing. In that let first Peter, Peter's letter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father. So this is after everything. This is after the Lord has ascended and, and the church is growing now and Peter's writing this letter. Listen to, this, listen to the experience that Peter's speaking with. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has called us to an inheritance that is not perishable, not defiled and not fading. Can you see that narrative reaching its climax there? All the rejection, all the faults, all the failings. And Peter's now saying, you know what? I know who the Lord is and I know who I am. Your inheritance can never perish, never spoil and never fade. He never changes his mind about you. Wherever you're at, whatever you think you've done, wherever you think you've fallen short, the deal's still on. You're still his kid. You're still his son or his daughter. You're still his favourite. The calling, he hasn't changed his mind about what he wants you to do. He hasn't disqualified you. So stop disqualifying yourself. Stop letting other people disqualify you. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. 
And when you deny him, he says, come and have breakfast. Let's go again. Just stay with me this time. Let's go again. You see, the, the, the final thought. People think that if I just try and live a good life, God will reward me. If I try and do things right, then God wouldn't punish me. He'll reward me with heaven or something like that if I live a good life. But it's, that's wrong. And I don't mean it's wrong as in you're an idiot. Because the Bible doesn't say you can't win your salvation, you're an idiot. The relationship with Jesus is the reward. You stop, need to stop trying to prove to God that you're a good person or prove to other people that you're a good person because it doesn't work like that. He, he knows who you are and he's not asking you to do good things. He's asking you to come and be known by him. There's three nouns in the New Testament that describe God. Love, light and life. If you want those things, come to him. That is the reward. The relationship is the reward. There's no point keeping God at a distance and saying, oh yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm, try, I'm, do, I'm a good person deep down. It, it's pointless. Because if you want love, light, and life, you've got to come to Jesus. He can't give you these things aside from him because he's not an allocator of these things. He is these things. If you want love, if you want light, if you want life, you've got to come to Jesus. And you can come and you can know that he never turns you away. He never writes you off. He never undermines you or undercuts you. He always says, you know what? He always says to you, this is my child whom I love. And I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. He is pleased with you. And all he's asking is just, just come into that relationship. Just give him more of your life. Give him your life. Surrender it all. Because like, it doesn't matter how good a fisherman you are. You can't always fish. But Jesus turns up and he'll... He'll redeem those things. He'll show you what it really means to use your gifts. Amen.